You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. First, they came for Alex Jones. Then they came for Joe Rogan. And now they come for me. (laughs) That is the poem. So forever here on the programs, we've been talking about how Alex Jones is the test case. First, they start to uh, isolate clips of Alex Jones and take clips out of context. Uh, I mean, think about Sandy Hook. I have no idea what he said about Sandy Hook. So I can't agree or disagree with anything that anybody says about what Alex Jones... I am sure, knowing Alex Jones and his shtick, after observing him for years, he talked about the Sandy Hook conspiracies. But I have no idea what he actually might have said. Do you? But if you read the New York Times, then there is a statement of fact that he harasses Sandy Hook families. And then they show clips. Although in in that case, I don't think I've ever seen clips posted anywhere. They just say that he is targeting Sandy Hook families. Uh, And we're too lazy to actually go look it up for ourselves if we had the opportunity to. So then it just becomes distasteful to share anything from InfoWars and Alex Jones, which it has been for years. I mean, that's why it's so insane to, like, ban him from things. It's like nobody posts InfoWars and Alex Jones stuff without there being a scarlet letter placed on them. Like, if your friend is sharing InfoWars stuff, you know, the comment section is nothing but, Alex Jones, really? Because it's not it's not acceptable information for public discourse. So that's why it was always, to me, so silly that the, he needed to be taken off. Like, I don't need other... I don't need people telling me what I can or can't watch. So it becomes unacceptable content. And then it becomes dangerous content because they take what he says out of context and then increase and ratchet up the awareness of him in a negative light. Then they take clips of Alex Jones and show it to CEOs like Jack Dorsey and say, is this acceptable for you to be associated with? And then shareholders and the media start putting pressure on companies, and then they get silenced completely. And Alex Jones says a lot of things that are out of the boundaries of good taste and also of common sense political speech, right? Um, he says a lot of things that are just over the top. And that's part of his shtick, is that he's just over the top. But what happens when they start going after voices who are just flat-out independent? Alex Jones is the test case because he's easy for people to get comfortable with the idea that Jack Dorsey has the power to ban people off of his platform. Now... Oh, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. No, I've seen it happen a million times. (laughs) And then Alex Jones is used as a pretext to start introducing the idea of regulating these companies, which the companies are all for. That's a great American tradition. Start a company, build a company into a a near monopoly, work with regulators after public uh, outcry. Journalists like Upton Sinclair turn the public against your company, work with with regulators and the people that you've donated money to in Congress to regulate your own company, and then all of a sudden, you're writing out all of your competition. You are crafting the legislation that gives you your permanent position at the top. 
see the motor companies, see the banking industry, see all of these companies that, oh, we've been in business for 150 years. It's like, yeah, because you bought Congress, you helped them write the rules that kept you in power, and then nobody else can ever compete with you because you uh, have engaged in crony capitalism. And that is what will happen with the social media companies. You're listening to The Chris Spangle Show here on the We Are Libertarians Network. Uh, I am Chris Spangle. So Vice has a tech site called Motherboard. Now, about six months ago, there was just this ludicrous blog post from some no-name blog that we presented to you on We Are Libertarians talking about Joe Rogan's podcast and this person talking about how detrimental to democracy Joe Rogan is. Now, Joe Rogan hasn't gotten the kind of hate that somebody like Jordan Peterson has gotten because Joe Rogan, in in a lot of ways, is fairly liberal. He isn't necessarily conservative or libertarian. He has a lot of very liberal ideas and progressive ideas. He's been in Hollywood forever. He's a much more known quantity than other people. But Rogan's podcast, if you've never listened to it, is a two- to three-hour, sometimes four-hour discussion with various people about their beliefs. He just talked to Larry Sharp. He uh, has interviewed Jordan Peterson. He's really a person that launches a lot of people like Jordan Peterson into the public consciousness. And he does it without gatekeepers. He just sits down and has a conversation with people and records it. Now... What makes journalists crazy is that they aren't in charge of that. They're not in control of it. And so a lot of what you see in the Alex Jones discussions are journalists who really want licensing for journalists so they can control who controls public opinion. They are the ones that get to control it. Politicians are the ones that get to control it. You are not the person that gets to control it. Your video views that might make someone like Alex Jones or Joe Rogan popular is not who they're looking for. That is not something that they care about. It is about if you've been brought up in the journalistic system. Did you work for a small-town paper, then a mid-sized paper? Did you start at the Hendricks County Flyer, move up to the Indianapolis Star, get to USA Today, get to The Hill, get to Politico, then to CNN? Did you work up that system and have that 20-year conditioning of how things are supposed to operate in in a polite society? What they hate are people like We Are Libertarians, Alex Jones, Joe Rogan, people who just decide that they're going to be opinion journalists, put up their content, and start growing their voice. They hate people like the Young Turks. They hate people like Democracy Now! Because those, those are liberal-leaning outlets, independent media outlets, libertarian media outlets, conservative media outlets. Anything not attached to the system of journalism they hate because it's a it steals their attention and that's really what they're mad about it steals the attention away from them and so they write articles and use their power to tell you who you are and are not allowed to listen to and so anytime people in power in the media or in the government or in politics tell you who you should or should not listen to Immediately stop listening to that person because that is a demagogue. That is a person that wants to control your mind and doesn't want you to think freely. So the drumbeats are now starting against Joe Rogan. So they start with Milo Yiannopoulos. They move to Alex Jones, Roger Stone, Stephen Crowder, 
some of these, the news maxi, Breitbarty type conservative media outlets. And now they're moving to Joe Rogan, who is an 800 pound gorilla, literally, in, uh, in the podcasting space. And what you're now going to see is the left turning against Joe Rogan. You're going to see the heat turn up against him. You're going to see calls for him to be removed from YouTube, from all of the various platforms, you know, Overcast and other podcasting apps. And they're going to do to Joe Rogan what they have done to Alex Jones. But it's going to be their Achilles heel because Joe Rogan is so insanely popular with a billion downloads a year that they're going it's going to have significant backlash so i hope they try it so vice's tech site motherboard writes uh the following article the joe rogan experience is a safe space to launder bad ideas elon musk emerged from two and a half out uh, uh, two and a half hour interview with joe rogan as an ambitious fun weed smoking genius and wasn't challenged on the various controversies he's embroiled in that's exactly how rogan gets big guests this is by Emanuel Mailberg. Yeah, sorry. Myberg or something. Uh, Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, went on Rogan's podcast on Thursday night. And if you know anything about these people, the end product is pretty much exactly what you'd expect. Whatever that means. How is that journalism? Is this an opinion piece or is this a journalistic piece? Rogan and Musk spend a little more than two and a half hours shooting the shit or the stuff about Musk's pro projects, drinking whiskey, smoking weed, and at one point admiring Rogan's samurai sword, which he claims is the real deal from the 1500s. We must cast doubt on the 1500 sword. The guy has more money than anybody in this listening audience combined. I'm sure he can afford a 1500s samurai sword. They talked about AI in the way that two stoned and genuinely curious people speculate about future technologies. Will AI exterminate humanity, for instance? But not in the way any of the actual AI researchers Motherboard has talked to on a regular basis for years talk about it. They're not worried about Terminator robots rising against humanity, but about deep fakes and the bias of the mostly white people who make algorithms at tech companies. So this author is mad that they're not talking about things in the way that he wants them to talk about things, because they're white. Rogan, who openly admired the CEO throughout the podcast, prodded Musk to celebrate his boring company, which aims to solve our traffic woes by building giant underground tunnels. Musk responded by repeatedly saying that he has no idea that it will actually work. And at the moment, all he has to show for it is a giant hole in the ground and interest from a few cities the company has entered contract negotiations with. It is, like many episodes of the Joe Rogan Experience, a rambling, entertaining, and at times surprising conversation. Rogan's podcasts are regularly three hours long, which is a long time for an executive like Musk to go on the record, and when someone casually gabs for that long, they're bound to say something interesting eventually. It, like, the Rogan podcast gives you an insight into the humanity of people that you don't get in little four-minute segments that you might get on CNN that's highly scripted. But see, they don't want that. They don't want authenticity on television or in radio news or TV news or print news. They want the narrative that they want to control to be the story. If you go to any... If you're involved in politics at any level and you are dealing with the media, you see that they come in with their stories pre-written, and it's just insert quote. 
cherry pick whatever might fit this pre-written story that you already have. So that's why people don't trust journalists anymore. That's why they trust people like Joe Rogan, because they can see with their own eyes the person in front of them because of the authentic conversation that's taking place. This is what makes Rogan a fun interviewer, and his podcast, which he has previously claimed gets 30 million downloads a month, so successful. He's casual, disarming, and in an era where people are highly polarized along right or left, Rogan is hard to put into a political ideological box. We must not have that. We must know exactly where he stands, and if it's not left, then we're going to burn him down. That was the editor's note. The Joe Rogan Experience is the kind of show that can have guests like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Hannibal Burris, Jay Leno, but also Ben Shapiro, Milo Yiannopoulos, Alex Jones, and various members of the regressive race and gender science clown car that calls itself the intellectual dark web. The problem is that Rogan himself has said he's not a journalist. I talk to people and I record it. That's it, Rogan told the New York Times. So... The problem is that Rogan is not a journalist. They're getting closer and closer to licensed journalists every single day. I'm telling you, watch. That's the next step. There's going to be some AAA-like commission or underwriter's laboratory or even some sort of... It couldn't be a government body, but there will be some sort of guild that will start issuing licenses and then social proof will take hold like the twitter verification has taken hold and anybody who isn't a part of that like on twitter for instance i i was told by somebody yesterday well i don't believe you because i'm not the one pretending to be a political know-it-all and i just wrote back like i've earned a paycheck from political parties i've earned a paycheck from campaigns i've earned a paycheck from news organizations i've earned a paycheck doing these things i've set up hundreds of campaigns i've set up hundreds of of organizations and rallies and and i run a, a media company now and my voice is you know heard by thousands of people a day because people hear what i have to say and people think mm, that makes sense and I back up what I say with my show notes so you know that you can trust me. And even then, I say, don't trust me. Like, I'm, I can be wrong a lot of the times. But my opinion is backed by experience. 15 years of politics and media and reporting and working with reporters and working with candidates. I understand how these things work. So I'm not pretending. I am an opinion journalist. But because I'm not attached to CNN, because I'm not attached to the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, because I'm not attached to some organization that gives me some social proof, it, this person doesn't, this person, this, he just, I'm just a regular internet commenter to him. So that's how social proof works, is that my voice is taken less seriously than if I were working for a mainstream news publication. If I were saying the same thing for the Wall Street Journal, then it would be important to this person. So it doesn't matter the words that I'm saying, it matters who I'm connected to. And so that's how this licensing will take place. Nobody has, nobody's introduced this. I'm telling you, within five to 10 years, that, that will happen. There will be a, a, a 
Underwriters Laboratory private organization of news outlets that will license journalists and it will be the ver Twitter verification of news and anybody that is not a part or cannot get entry to this organization then they will seek their destruction they will make sure that they get closed down and ripped out of all of these various platforms just like Alex Jones because we're not going to blink when they do it five years from now because we didn't blink when they did it to Jones and so it'll just be acceptable five years from now it's it's barely controversial now because it's Alex Jones but the template's been set and nobody gave a shit uh, it's crap and so they're just going to get away with it this is this is the road that we're heading down uh so that means guests like Shapiro and Leno get the same kind. What is wrong with Jay Leno? Jay Leno is like the most milk toast person on the planet. Like I work in comedy too, and like he's not considered a, an edgy comedian by any stretch of the imagination. He's the Walmart of the last generation of comedians. Uh, Leno get the same kind of non-confrontational treatment. There's a basic rule of improvisational comedy that says the performers on stage should respond to one another with yes and. This allows the conversation to continue and to flow, sometimes in increasingly absurd directions. This is often how Rogan treats his guest, which works great when he has another comedian on, and not so great when Alex Jones is on the show talking about interdimensional pedophiles, or when Jordan Peterson describes the plight of men besieged by social justice warriors on college campuses. I think Jordan Peterson has a point. <laughs> uh, both, and you're proving it. Both are ideas that don't st stand up well to scrutiny, which Rogan doesn't provide. Now listen, I'm going to give you that interdimensional pedophiles, which is not what he said. He said interdimensional shape-shifting aliens that run our country, which doesn't hold up either. And Alex was Alex was actually confronted like if you watch episode 911 Rogan kept repeatedly saying how do you know that how do you know that how do you know that and Alex Jones would like ramble off some crazy you know document number or whatever cuz he has the documents you know so he does do that but the people who are reading motherboard don't listen to Joe Rogan and so they don't know that and so this person is able, because this person doesn't listen to Joe Rogan, he's just making up falsehoods about how the show operates. Because I listen to a lot of the shows, right? And as an adult who is a free-thinking person, I can hear these conversations and sort out what I think is important or not. And that's really what freedom is about, is that I have the freedom to hear these conversations and judge Alex Jones thinking that interdimensional shape-shifting pedophiles running the country is a little too far for me. But when Jordan Peterson says that conservatives on campus are besieged by liberals, that's actually happening. But this person doesn't want that to be a truth and ignores the, the reality for conservatives on college campuses. And so he just declares it untrue and he gets away with it because he's associated with a major media publication like Vice. Musk, as a guest, produces the same problems. Throughout the interview, Musk mentions ideas, initiatives, and products he's working on, which Rogan doesn't stop to question. 
Musk talks about adding an Atari video game emulator to the Tesla, an Easter egg that can make the Tesla dance, and a concept for an electric plane better than any in existence, which can take off and land vertically. Rogan has two and a half hours to question these ideas, but doesn't. Well, who cares? It's Joe Rogan's show. It's not your show. If you want to have a two and a half hour conversation with Elon Musk, then do it. You work for Vice. Quit going and cherry picking and nitpicking what Joe Rogan did. Do your own thing. Rogan had also had the time to ask Musk about the various labor issues he's dealing with uh, at his factories. Musk repeatedly calling one of the divers who helped save the kids stuck in a cave in Thailand a pedo. Musk's various feuds with journalists and, and his plan to start a website that will rank their credibility. <laughs> and his see that's what they're mad about uh and his potentially illegal tweet to make tesla a private company a decision he quickly reversed but none of these issues came up well uh, here's the thing uh um i'm sure this person has done interviews because the writer of this article is a journalist that was able to get employed by vice so he's at least got two years of journalistic uh, experience in college. And uh, so he's probably done some interviews. But it was, I mean, it's like year one stuff that you learn that you're going to have to work with people. If you're going to be a journalist, the thing that matters is relationships. If you are constantly badgering and harassing, then you're not going to get the information that you need to be a successful journalist that informs the public of what's going on and because they see you as a threat. It's, it's, it's like if you went on Bumble or Tinder and just started every conversation with, what's up, whore? Like, you're not going to get very far, right? So, because the woman would rightly recognize that you're a psychopath who doesn't have their best interests at heart. You're a dangerous person. So look at Alex Jones when he's talking to Marco Rubio. Like, Marco Rubio doesn't take him seriously because Alex Jones is acting like an asshole. So if you want to get somewhere in journalism, then you've got to be friendly and build a relationship. That These conversations that Rogan is having are the conversations that most journalists have with politicians at the bar. It's just not recorded. And so... They're mad that Rogan's getting all the attention when they're, he's doing the same stuff they're doing. You know, because what happens is in these two-hour conversations at the bar with their subjects, they are then able to lift out of those conversations the things that they think is important. And that is the important choice. Story selection, fact selection, and what you leave on the cutting room floor is the important part. And so what journalists don't understand is the reason people think that they are biased towards the left, it's because of their selection, their selection of content, their selection, their story selection shows that they have a certain bias. And it's the same way with conservative sites like Newsmax. The power of media is in the editorial selection. That's why you have to be a longtime journalist and, and work at a place for a long time to become an editor of a newspaper. You know, the editor of the New York Times currently is somebody who's worked at the Times for a long time. And I think he covered the the Washington Bureau for a while. You know, and so obviously a person who had a pretty decent amount of power for a very long time 
and the people who decide who is the editor of the New York Times saw that this person had good judgment over a long period of time, and that's why they put them there. So editors have a, a tremendous amount of power, and so what makes journalists mad is that somebody like Joe Rogan doesn't edit. What we love about Joe Rogan is that he doesn't edit. He, they're, they're not able to twist the information in the narrative that they like. The narrative might get away from journalists. And, and the worst journalists, I use that term loosely, are the bloggers that work at places like Vice, Huffington Post, Raw Story, even the Daily Caller in some respects. You know, the people who work for these clickbait mills, like BuzzFeed, wield a ton of power because when BuzzFeed posts something, then all the others pick it up and report on it as if what BuzzFeed said was news. That's why the concept of tweets as news drives me insane. Because journalists ultimately are fairly lazy people. And uh, they don't want to work very hard. And when they do work hard, it's, it's at things that are easy, like going and reading news reports. And the journalists that do work hard are the people that you learn their names, like Maggie Haberman. Maggie Haberman, I think, is an exceptional journalist. I'm sure she's gotten plenty wrong. But I think, by and large, when I hear her interviewed, when I read her stuff, I go, yeah, I think she probably wrote it the way that she believes is the truth or the, the facts that have been given to her. I think somebody like Maggie Haberman is incredibly hardworking, and that's why you know her name. Now, so, I, all right, maybe it's unfair to call all journalists lazy. <laughs> Understaffed, I guess, may be the better way to put it. Um, laziness enters into it. I mean, these are generally, you know, especially the men. These are people who've never done a hard day's work of their life. You know, it's 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 why they all have low tea with the glasses, the horn rim glasses, and the you know the satchel bag as they ride their bird scooter to work. Um, so to to Buzzfeed, where they are making a difference for the world, uh, they're just. These are these are people who are living in an echo chamber, and so they read each other's stuff, and so they don't at these clickbait mills they don't have the journalistic chops of somebody who writes for the New York Times, for instance, and so they don't know how to go out and find a story. They don't know how to go out and report on a story. So they they think that Twitter, which they spend all day on Twitter, they think that's news because it's news to them and their friends. It's the stuff that they would text each other about, you know. Whereas I think. The, the differentiator between a BuzzFeed and the New York Times for me is that the long-standing tradition of the Times and the Washington Post, they understand over uh, many, many decades the impact that reporting has on uh, a culture, a community. And so they have adjusted and fine-tuned their editorial process to understand what, how they're affecting the culture uh, and how they actually should, what processes should they use to find out the facts of a story and, and information. So I'm much more willing to take a, a, a newspaper uh, as fact than I am uh, a BuzzFeed because the people that work at BuzzFeed are people who have been out of Columbia Journalism School for about two years and they've never been outside of their echo chamber. They're, they're in their 20s and they don't have any life experience and they don't have any career experience and they just post what they think is interesting. And then it just spreads virally, and then we're all supposed to think that it's interesting. But I'm sorry, tweets are not news. 
I'm fired up today. Uh, I, I didn't even know what I was. I was like, man, I don't even know if I'm going to have a show. And then I saw this article and now I'm just pissed. <laughs> this pisses me off so much, you know, because it's just it's so, it's the nanny state mentality that these people have, that they are the ones who are going to tell you what to think. They're the ones guarding democracy by controlling thought and public opinion. You know, people who are 26 who have never done anything in their life but live in New York City think that they're that they know what's best for you to think. It just it's insane. Um uh, so he's mad that they didn't ask about all these things that he would have asked about, which he, of course he's not going to. That's not what Rogan does. Rogan's job is to is to humanize these people, which is also part of the problem. It's harder to write smears against someone like Musk that is targeting journalists and get revenge on him for that if he's, if he's a human as opposed to an avatar. We don't know that Musk went on the Rogan experience because he knew these issues wouldn't come up. But we do know that Musk has a history of wielding media coverage in his favor. At that moment, it appears he's trying to intimidate journalists who challenge him. Well, they're not allowed to push back. That would be you're hurting democracy. If you're saying, hey, don't write f falsehoods about me. While welcoming the media that admires, and admires him. Um, he did an extremely softball interview with YouTuber Mark, Marcus Brownlee? Marquis? Mar I, don't know, I don't know how to say it. But he did an interview with a YouTuber, and that pissed him off because it wasn't a traditional media outlet. That Musk would seek out only favorable media is not ideal for his customers or employees, but to be expected from any CEO. But that Rogan will allow him to say whatever he wants and not even mention the controversies Musk is currently embroiled in is making his millions of listeners dumber. They walk away with the conception of Musk as an ambitious and quirky genius, not a union-busting billionaire who's being probed by the Security and Exchange Commission. Okay, so he's telling you what he wants you to think about this person. I want you to think that he's a union-busting billionaire who's being probed by the security, by the SEC. And I want him shoved back into the box where I can control that view of him. Uh, we don't want you to see that, because the truth is he may be that, right? But the truth is that he's also an ambitious and quirky genius. <laughs> and he's also a, he's a complicated human being that's why he's successful and interesting the reason that it already has like a million views as a, in 24 hours is that Elon Musk is interesting to us because he is a quirky and, and ambitious genius okay by ignoring the various issues hounding Musk Rogan is implicitly saying that they don't matter okay no when Rogan lets Musk smoke a blunt and talk about electric planes, the universe as a simulation and the singularity without probing him on any recent controversies, the undertone is that Musk's critics are hysterical for caring about things like union-busting, SEC rule-skirting, and how billionaires use their power. It's a dynamic that results in great damage control for figures like Peterson, Alex Jones, and now Musk. Now, um... The left wants confrontation. That is the mold. I'm I'm about to I'm about to dive into rules for radicals with Saul Alinsky, but you know, one of the one of the rules of progressives is never stop provoking, never stop poking, never never let up. 
because you want everything to be at a huge boiling point. Revolutionaries want everything to be very hot, burning hot all the time because they want you to make emotional decisions because they don't want you to cool down and think about things rationally because then they're going to lose. So he wants every interview to be a provocation. It never enters this writer's mind that there might be a different way to interview somebody or that he is allowed to have a conversation that isn't provoking. Um, you know, and he's a fairly open person by interacting with people online. Uh, but I do agree with the writer in that if I were doing these interviews, I would probably ask that stuff. And, and it probably would mean that I wouldn't get that interview. You know, so there is some valid, there is some validation to what this writer is saying. But I, I don't think that everything has to be a provocation. Sorry, I literally just turned on my computer so I can upload this to you guys. Uh, I, these come right off the presses, right? Like, so I, I, I end this, and then I immediately upload it to you guys. Same with We Are Libertarians most of the time. So if you're a Patreon subscriber. So, you know, it, it, he's not allowed to have a different style of journalism or interviewing than he has, than the writer has. So... It, it's just arrogance and it's uh, petulance and it is everything that we see from the left all the time now. And uh, you just wait. I'm, I'm telling you right now that the next step is that it's going to start on Motherboard. It's going to go to the Huffington Post. It's going to go to Raw Story. It's going to go to Think Progress. It's going to go to Media Matters. Media Matters is going to start monitoring the Rogan show. They're going to start pulling clips from the 1,700 different episodes that are remotely racist. They're going to pull comedy clips. They're going to have people at his comedy shows recording things that, that go against, that, that are technically hate speech. They're going to start, uh, you know, you have an Eddie Bravo on, start talking about conspiracies. They'll start spinning him as a conspiracy theorist. <coughs> then... You know, a, a concerned media like Oliver Darcy and Brian Steltzer will start having concerned conversations on reliable sources on Sunday morning about this particular person. And then anybody that goes on their show that is of note, that uh, has politi political significance, a politician like Larry Sharp just went on. Larry Sharp then, then will be asked, was it appropriate to go on Joe Rogan considering what we know now about Joe Rogan and his racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, and sexism? And then it will turn, you know, and then every interview with anybody who's ever done Rogan turns into, do you disavow Joe Rogan? And it's not intended to give you any information other than Joe Rogan bad, social proof bad, don't, don't listen to Joe Rogan, he bad, why hate speech okay explain that just hate speech didn't you see the news here's a new york times article that's talking about how dangerous joe rogan is they'll write an article about how joe in the new york times the the editorial boards who live in these uh universes of of social justice uh intersectional echo chambers will be concerned about the public discourse that's taking place on joe rogan then It'll start being daytime, 24-hour cable segments. Uh, you know, now the latest controversy from Joe Rogan, 
and then his big guess will dry up, and then CEOs of corporations will, uh, like at Google, will go on CNN and 60 Minutes, and then they'll go, um, so, you know, there's the Russia narrative, which we started and we have propped up for three years as a way to dec- decrease the value of social media and independent media. Uh, do you disavow having Joe Rogan on your platform? Why do you carry such a hateful program on YouTube? Why do you allow Joe Rogan to post on Facebook Live? And then these CEOs will start going, we are concerned about what you're saying. Thank you for bullying us into submission. We have decided to ban Joe Rogan from YouTube. That's how this works. That's the, that's the step-by-step process that now is taking place. And because CEOs and editors at news outlets and... Uh, journalists all down the line at every different type of of you know thing are are all just completely caving to this bullying and none of them ever stand up because they all really do end up thinking the same way then you don't get access to the human side of elon musk and joe rogan is you know banished to his website or whatever you know, he's removed from podcast directories and his downloads go down because he's now dangerous. Like you need to, that's why I've been saying you need to pay attention to the Alex Jones stuff. It has consequences. And and eventually anybody like we are libertarians, like Lions of Liberty, like Tom Woods, Tom Woods is in a fight with this rapper. I don't even know how to say his name. Talib uh, some th- I I don't know. I'm sorry. I just am not. I <clears throat> like. I listen to to rap, but like rap from when I was in high school. <laughs> so I just don't follow new people really, um, except Kendrick Lamar. He's pretty good. Uh, so, so he's in a fight with this guy. All it takes is just one lit one journalist who really loves that rap artist music, to follow this whole thread write a hit piece in the Huffington Post or Mediate about Tom Woods and his evil association to the racist Mises Institute. You know, even the national chair Nick Sarwark thinks that they're racist. D- do you disavow the Tom Woods show? You know, call up Marco Arment who runs Overcast and get him banned from the directory. Get Tom pulled off of YouTube. Find out who he uses for an email server and call Aweber until they drop him. And, like, that's how this works. And these companies cave all the time because they're, they believe in it. So we really need to get to a point where we encourage, we say, no, the line in the sand is political speech. Nobody should be allowed to bully somebody. But you can't apply bullying to public figures. I'm sorry. Like Alex Jones, when he's yelling things at Jack Dorsey, like Jim Acosta does, or making politicians uncomfortable in a scrum, like Jim Acosta does, you have to ban them both. You have to treat this equitably. Alex Jones didn't hurt anyone. His, like Alex Jones is the kid that annoyed us in school. He was annoying. He is annoying to these people. He's annoy- like He's an annoying personality. So think of your, your class in elementary school and he's just a kid that bugged everybody and so the students run the school and they just got him suspended and banned and expelled from the school so he can still be educated at, at, at these other places but he doesn't have access to the public school system anymore
you know, but they do it by treating Alex Jones as if he's the school shooter. He's not the school shooter. He's just annoying. <laughs> and so there's a very real difference. Like, bullying Robert Mueller was not an excuse to ban him from 15 companies in 24 hours. I'm sorry. That's just not silly. Um, so, all right, guys. I appreciate your time. I appreciate talking to you. I appreciate... Um, I appreciate you listening. Like the numbers are really good for this. We're um, getting near a thousand already a day, which blows me away after two or three weeks. So if we can get to a thousand downloads, like, like that's really awesome, and I appreciate that because that that is the the average download for a podcast is two hundred downloads per episode. You know, so I just I look at the response from you guys uh, towards all of the We Are Libertarians content and the positive response to it. And I appreciate it. I really do. And, um, you know, it just shows that we're doing something right. And so, you know, I like social proof too. I like to know that you're listening. I like emails from you guys. I like voicemails that you can leave at wearelibertarians.com through SpeakPipe. I like listener surveys being filled out at the bottom of wearelibertarians.com. I like to hear from you guys. I like this to be interactive. I like this to be a conversation. Uh, and uh, because it encourages me to keep doing more, it encourages me to keep going, it encourages me to change things, uh, you know, and so numbers are a big part of that too. So uh, the way that this is set up, I constantly kind of, I'm, 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 a, I'm a tweaker, all right? I'm constantly changing things. I'm constantly trying to improve things. And, uh, and it's because I get bored easily. So, so if I'm going to change things constantly, I'd rather do it in ways that uh, you guys appreciate. So, uh, please don't be a stranger. All right. Thanks for listening. Please share this episode. I think I made a lot of good points that will make a lot of people think really want you to share this on social media. I really want you to tell your friends about the show. You know, we're, we're holding people accountable here. Nothing makes me more angry than people who use their power to manipulate people. And that's what this article was. This is a person who has some measure of power manipulating people into thinking that he is correct, that he, he is the arbiter of truth, and that people who uh, love free expression are evil and dangerous. And you have to call those people out. And we have to start getting people to wake up and start recognizing what's happening so before it's too late, before we are all subject to government regulation, because that's where this ends. It ends with Ron Wyden on a podcast saying there's thousands of these Alex Jones-type sites that we need to look at. That's a senator of the United States talking about using the force of government, and the only way that something gets passed is if we, like, like FOSTA, for instance is if we don't pay attention to it. And so you have to stand up for Alex Jones because even if you don't like Alex Jones and you don't believe what he says, it is the template and the people that you think have the truth and have a balanced point of view will be next. And that's why it matters. It isn't about the Sandy Hook stuff. It isn't about what Alex Jones has done right or wrong. He's done a lot wrong. It isn't about defending Alex Jones, because you're not. You are defending principles, the principles of free speech. And don't let anybody tell you that free speech, oh, you're just talking about the the First Amendment applies to government. Free speech is a principle. Free association with ideas, 
the ability to talk out loud, the ability to be wrong. Because here's the thing. When Alex Jones says these things out loud, it gives people the opportunity to correct those thoughts and correct those assumptions. Because the things that that these conspiracy theories talk about, people are thinking those things. And so if nobody is ever correcting those thoughts, because no one ever is allowed to talk about those things, then the, uh, the bad thinking continues and the bad behavior then continues. You've got to allow people to say whatever they want to say so therefore other people can counter that and we become a smarter society. That's where this writer has it right. You are better by having countering views. Should, it, should Joe Rogan have asked about some of these controversies? Probably. Does he have to? No. He doesn't have to do it the way that Motherboard thinks he ought to. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. And uh, if you want to see this show continue, then please share it and uh, donate on Patreon. Patreon.com slash We Are Libertarians. All right, we will see you on Monday.